When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Um, those of you that have been listening recently, well, know we did an, um, an amazing conversation with Jean Felser um, uh, a couple of weeks ago on the history of California as a slave state. It was such a great conversation that we've decided to continue it um, and to talk about some of the areas of the book that we, we didn't get a chance to talk about previously. Um, so we're going to begin by exploring um, an, an aspect of the history of slavery in California during the pre-Civil War years um, from 1850. Um, the impact of the Fugitive Slave Act on California. So, Jean, perhaps you can talk us through a little bit about this and, and, and what the Fugitive Slave Act did in California. Well, thank you. Thank you for continuing our conversation. It was great. And we stopped really right in the midst of the legalization of slavery in California. Before that, with the missions, the Spanish Empire, in effect, legalized slavery because they they were an empire. They controlled the state and there were no legal challenges or court system to challenge the Spanish kidnap and control and forced conversion of California Native Americans. By 1850, California is going to become an epicenter for its own form of slavery for African Americans. So let's start there. The gold rush happens in 1849. And there was a convergence of African-Americans in California 
people who actually didn't, as I understand it, expect to discover themselves there. Enslaved Black people, plantation workers, are more common notion <clears throat> of slavery in the United States, were transported across the plains by slave owners, plantation owners, who in effect, no, in fact, would control the early political apparatus of California. Yeah. They, plantation owners, dominated the constitutional convention that would set up California as a state. Peter Burnett, the first governor of California, held hundreds of slaves black back at his plantation in the South. The first senator from California, William Gwynn, was also a plantation owner, and he held 200 slaves back in Mississippi. So mm -hmm. this is the power structure of California. Gold is discovered in 1849, 1848. By 1849, it's spread across the world. And African-Americans, free Blacks, want to come to California for the same reason that everybody else from all over the world wanted to come to California. Yeah, you, you got, I was just going to say, part of the almost like the foundational myth of the United States of America is this kind of rugged individualism, the, 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 the pioneering prospect to finding, finding wealth in, in, in the ground, you know, well, ground that belonged to somebody else previously, that's always glossed over. But um, it, 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 this kind of foundational, you know, every country has its own foundational myth or foundational fantasy. And when you examine it, it's normally, you know, wildly untrue. But here we have this, this idea of the, the you know the, the noble pursuit of wealth by the rugged individual, and really, you know, slavery is is deeply entwined within within that and exploitation. Of course, and the myth, of course, of individualism is that that myth sat on top of tremendous millions of enslaved Blacks. They weren't um, perceived as individuals. They had no individual civil rights. They didn't have a right to their family. They didn't have a right to their own sexual or reproductive body. So the myth of individualism sits atop of a enslaved community yeah. in terms of the South. Meanwhile, in the North, free Blacks also wanted to come to California. They wanted to come to California for the same reason people from all over the world wanted to come. There was also, at the wind at their back was the 1850 National Fugitive Slave Act. And the Fugitive Slave Act said that if you cross a state, a state line to flee, then you are available to be seized, sold, returned to the South, and enslaved. Yeah. Even if you were not formally enslaved, or if you had arranged for your freedom, your manumission, or if you had successfully fled. I don't know if you saw the movie 12 Years a Slave, but it's the torturous 
some people actually call it torture porn movie of a free black man, a violinist who is captured from upstate New York and transported up down and sold into the South. Mm. And he needs to be able to establish that he's in fact a free man in the movie. He needs Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt with stunning highlights and a Quaker to end up on the plantation. Brad Pitt is a carpenter. He understands that Solomon Northrop is a free black and he spends years trying to get copies of freedom papers so that he can free Solomon Northrop. In California, the Fugitive Slave Act didn't work because you didn't flee across a, a state line for your freedom. You were transported by your owner into California. The legal term they used was that plantation owners brought enslaved Blacks, quote, voluntarily into California, and then they fled. Okay, so as you were saying, there's a great deal of surprise amongst many people that there were enslaved African-Americans in, in California. And California passes its very own Fugitive Slave Act to make it legal. Um, to, I'm sorry, California passes its very own Fugitive Slave Act to make it illegal not to flee across slave state lines, because plantation owners brought enslaved Blacks with them into California. Mm -hmm. The Fugitive Slave Act did several things. And first, it said that it was illegal to flee inside California. You could be seized, you could be whipped, you could be held and transported back. That was also, of course, a free pass to snag free Blacks as well as enslaved Blacks who had also come out for, for the gold rush. Built within the California Fugitive Slave Act was the Sojourner Act that allowed plantation owners to keep enslaved people for three years in California. This had been copied from the East by slaveholders who needed, claimed to need enslaved help when mm. they sold their cotton in the East up to the mills in New England. Or mm -hmm. through the ports of New York. So California isn't inventing this. But I think it's it really points to where we started, that the tentacles of slavery had deeply split. The tentacles of slavery had deeply reached into the North. Mm -hmm. And those same tentacles were imported into California to hold on to enslaved Blacks and also to free Blacks who had come to California to escape the Fugitive Slave Act. So right from the, um, throughout the, 18, the 1850s, um, California is, is sort of um, hopelessly kind of compromised by, um, it's interesting, you have plantation owners um, in California, um, you know, white, wealthy white people in California whose origin is, the, uh, the 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 states of the south, um, 
Indeed, and they take over the state. Yeah, they take over the governorship and control the first legislature of the state. So the first laws and the judges who are also appointed, who will hear the cases of enslaved people who run away or fugitive slaves, those courts are also controlled by Southerners who've been appointed by the governor or the legislature. We do want to keep in mind that the first governor, Peter Burnett, and William Gwynn, the first senator, had come via Oregon, where mm-hmm. Oregon has just banned all Black people from living in the state, in the territory of Oregon. So they've got a lot of racist baggage that they are going to try in every way they can to implement again in California. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, one of the reasons I suppose why California doesn't quite match the the, the model of um, the, uh, the the South is is simply you know, the fact that it's not a, a kind of uh, it doesn't quite have the have the same agricultural economy. It doesn't work on um, the mass production of cotton and tobacco and things like that. But in in, in all other regards, it it, it is. Um, it is kind of run on with, with the, the same ideas of kind of racial superiority and also gerrymandering legal systems in order to make um, the, the the ownership of human beings um, a, a, a a legal right. Um, Indeed, and I think it's important to remember that people in the East saw. California as unoccupied and this incredible fertile land, tobacco and cotton had pretty much destroyed the soil of the South. The South always intended that these new territories in the West, territories that had been seized by taking the top third to half of Mexico would become slave states. And the image was not industrialism or early industrial capital. It was to extend the plantation system further and further west. Mm-hmm. It instantly does that in Texas. By the time of the gold rush, Texas had 200,000 enslaved Blacks doing cotton, working on cotton. In fact, some plantation owners who cross the plains don't even have to raid their own plantations for enslaved people. They know they can just buy some more in Texas on their way to California. So the idea of field labor, of using enslaved people to fund um, to fund the new agriculture that they expected from California. Mm-hmm was was built in from the get-go. Mm-hmm. The, the greed for California was stimulated by gold, but the notion from the Southern perspective of, quote, going West was always to extend the plantation economy into right. the new territories. And that's why we go to war with Mexico, which is to seize this 
northern third to half of Mexico mm. and transform it into an agrarian plantation economy. So when we see this kind of very bucolic artwork from the, the mid-19th century of manifest destiny and this sort of kind of an angelic figure pointing westwards and I forget who the painting's by, but it's quite a famous one. And wagons uh, are going across the plains, and sort of there's some in the background. And an it, angel it, floating yes, overhead. Yes, yes. You know, this is this this, this is uh, at the time really about the extent the, the planned expen extension of slavery coast to coast. Indeed, indeed. And what happens? is that that will be challenged in California. And the leadership of challenging it in California in part comes from free Blacks who are not only transporting or being transported or the laws of the North are transported West, but the abolitionist movement also travels West. Mm -hmm. And most important, most important, of that transport of the notion of black freedom, of black liberty, comes through the colored convention movement. The all over the United States, I was never taught this, even as a historian at Berkeley, it, that there were thousands of colored conventions across the United States mm. where hundreds of black people gathered to demand civil rights and most importantly, to demand freedom and abolition. In California, there were three colored conventions and two were right down the block from the state house to be very much in the face of the legislature and they were demanding the right to testify. I kept reading these colored conventions thinking, why aren't they talking about freedom why aren't they talking about liberty but in fact they were because mm -hmm. if you were a free black and you couldn't testify you couldn't enter into evidence one that freedom was stipulated tepidly in the california constitution so slavery was illegal but also if you couldn't testify you couldn't enter into evidence your own freedom papers, your own manumission papers. And it was a, a noose around the neck of, of free Blacks mm -hmm. to not be allowed to testify. So there is a vibrant civil rights movement that's happening in the AME churches, in the schools, in libraries, that were funded private libraries for black people because they couldn't use white people's libraries. Mm. All of these civic engagements are happening to demand the right to testify. Mm -hmm. And I had to understand that freedom comes in many packages and the right to testify was critical. It wasn't a limited legal demand. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so at the time, um, and again, you would be forgiven for for not a, for not knowing this, but you're you're describing there what must have been quite a sophisticated civic and kind of intellectual culture uh, amongst um, African Americans in California 
um, and three African Americans in in California. Um, and um, you know, one of the things I think that is is often glazed over when we look at you know the poor slaves in chains isn't it awful that they're actually they, these are people with agency, with knowledge, understanding, talent, skills, um, just like anybody that you would know now. Um, and and it, and it's easy to it's easy to sort of remove that from them, but but obviously the evidence suggests that these were really quite quite pioneering people. Indeed, there were three black California newspapers. Within a few years, there were deep correspondence with the abolitionist community. There were black ministers. There were black school teachers. Black kids weren't allowed to go to school. And so immediately schools are set up for African-American children in California. And as you mentioned, there was tremendous political sophistication and savvy that was transported across the East through the Colored Convention movement. So people knew what they were about. It's just that free Blacks didn't expect to find enslaved Blacks working next to them, mm. up to their waist in mud and muck, mining for gold, except that the enslaved Blacks weren't mining for themselves. Mm. They were mining for other people. Very soon after the gold rush starts, plantation owners realize that what California needs, and this is one way that it does leak with indigenous Californians, Native Americans, is that California didn't have a labor, a labor um, force. There was no labor force in California. And plantation owners realized that the value of the enslaved people they've brought with them is not just that they can dig for whatever little teeny bits of gold might be left, but they've got these working bodies that they believe that they own. And there is a huge system of renting out enslaved Blacks or captured free Blacks, renting them out to farmers, to new industries, to restaurants, to hotels, or to other miners to work for them. So they are using the new Black population to create a labor force. It wasn't ever very big. So the you know when when you come down to it the the the, um, the kind of the 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 operating kind of logic is is all about you know as we know the extraction of of labor value uh, for free um, and if we look at something slightly different um, the a, a different form of of, of enslavement um, the use of and, and this you know, obviously, is is the loophole in the Thirteenth Amendment after the Civil War, the the use of prisons and the use of prison labour. Um, what's the story of of prison labour in California? The story of prison labour in California comes right from the beginning. 
because of the value of gold, there was all kinds of money floating around San Francisco and Sacramento, which is Sacramento was was the jumping off point to go into the gold fields, into the Sierra Mountains. Everything was crazy expensive. A loaf of bread cost $18. People are walking around with a great deal of money. Some of it's converted into jewelry. During the gold rush, $1.5 billion is annually shipped to the East Coast from the gold rush. So there is a lot of money, a lot of construction, restaurants, boarding houses, um, mining equipment that are being sold, and there's a lot of petty theft. Gold mining, digging for gold doesn't turn out to be the, the you know, the glimmering utopia that had been promised. And a new state very quickly is coming into being with manufacturing. And there is a great deal of what we would now call petty theft. And there's a great deal of murder. This was a gun-toting people. In fact, enslaved Blacks for the first time ever were issued guns to defend crossing the plains there were arms everywhere. There was money. There was illusions of easy money. And there was crime. Most of it, um, or a lot of it, was petty crime and the pressure to have a labor force. California has to set up every possible institution, and it has to set up a system of prisons and penitentiaries. What the legislature does in order to set up a penitentiary is it issues a contract for $100,000, which would be millions in today's money. And it gives it to one corrupt contractor, a dude named Edsel, James Edsel. The money is going to him and to a former Mexican governor of, of California. And they are told, build us a prison system Stop all of this petty crime. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What they do is they take the money and use it to recruit a labor force of convicts. Edsel is given permission to own, own, not just use, prisoners from all the jails across California. Mm. And word goes out from the legislature to send all their prisoners to these little towns um, to send their prisoners up to San Francisco to Edsel. What he does is he takes two prison, two brigs that are floating in San Francisco Bay. Mm-hmm. People who had come out for the gold rush, captains and sailors, decide there's a lot more money in gold than being sailors, and they abandon ship. There are 400 abandoned ships in San Francisco Bay. Edsel and some members of the new San Francisco City Council buy up two of these brigs, and they convert them into prison brigs with... Mm-hmm. Seated, um, nasty, um, cramped, diseased cells built into the hulls of these brigs. And Edsel floats his brig all around San Francisco Bay for people who've been there. It's hundreds of miles of shoreline around San Francisco Bay. He's keeping the prisoners and their labor for himself. And For example, he rents them out to San Francisco to build a sewage system, to build the roads. And he rents them out to people who are building mansions to work on their mansions. Finally, the legislature says, build the darn prison. But he is accumulating incredible amount of wealth by renting out human beings, unfree people, This is the birth of the carceral state in California. This is the birth of convict labor. Finally, under pressure from the legislature, who keeps canceling his contracts, but they don't have anybody else, Edsel implements the contract to build San Quentin Prison, the infamous San Quentin Prison in Marin County across the bay. He doesn't build it on an island because there are quarries full of granite um, where San Quentin prison, where he chooses to build San Quentin prison. And he's going to use these prisoners to quarry the granite, which he will also sell Mm. all over the Bay using unfree people to the backbreaking work of chopping granite. And finally he does it, the prisoners have to build their own prison at San Quentin. They, because it's a peninsula, it's not an island, it's easy to escape from there. And the prisoners build escape hatches into the prison. They use salt water for the grout. And when they want to, they can just push out a few bricks from this lousy grout and escape. Finally, he uses the prisoners to build a wall, an inept 
wall, easy to escape. What he does in San Quentin prison is he builds factories inside the prison walls of San Quentin for his personal profit. And he is allowed to keep the profit and the warden keeps the profit. Corrupt legislatures keep the profit. The, the corruption spreads through the new state. The, he, there's a furniture factory built in San Quentin, but the most dire and in some ways the most interesting is they build a mill inside San Quentin prison. During these years, California agriculture is getting going and it's mm -hmm. getting going through wheat. Wheat flies around. It has to be shipped in some kind of contained way. The way it's going to be shipped from California is in what we call burlap bags or bags made out of jute. The fiber for these jute bags comes from Calcutta. So what you have is a very global economy of enslaved people in India growing jute. The jute is shipped from Calcutta halfway around the globe to San Francisco, where it's shipped over to these sheaves of, um, of jute. It's shipped to San Quentin prison, where the prisoners are required to weave these jute bags for the new California agriculture. And there's a thousand looms in this prison. Okay. Think of the, the enormous mills in the north of England. This is what it must have looked like inside the walls of San Quentin. The prisoners are required to stand for 12 hours a day at a loom without speaking. I could not stand for 12 hours a day and I couldn't stand for 12 hours a day. And certainly I couldn't stand without speaking no. for 12 hours a day no. and no one could. And so within San Quentin prison is designed an elaborate system of tortures. They yeah. use, they import from the East kind of waterboarding. They would put a prisoner in a bathtub full of water and send an electric shock into the water. If a prisoner so much as spoke when they were supposed to be standing at the mill, spinning this jute into bags for the new wheat, for the new agriculture, for, for California, which was going to go east and, and feed the Midwest and feed the East Coast. Sure. So the slavery of convicts becomes a key point in inserting California into this global system of import jute, manufacturing it inside the prison with a steam loom and exporting it. There is I, a massive strike at San Quentin prison we think about Attica and the strike at Attica. A thousand prisoners inside San Quentin prison in the 1850s go on strike because of the forced labor, the hunger, the beating, the torture. Are the prisoners Main, mainly 
mainly black. Are there any white prisoners amongst them? The prison population is diverse. There are Native Americans, there are Chinese people, there are women prisoners, a very small population of women prisoners who are forced to live in the houses at first of the warden. So they become sexually available, deliberately sexually available. And then they're kept in the most disgusting, horrible basement of the prison to to live. So the population turns out to be Mexican-American who were Californians before California became part of the United States. So there are Mexican-Americans, Native Americans, Chinese people, African-Americans, and white people Mm. who are in... You know, they, the prison system is um, becomes a very, it's sort of like the military or sports. It's one of these unique, diverse populations. It will, of course, become increasingly African-American as the population expands with the great migration around World War II. One of the interesting things about this part of the story is when you look at um prison populations and their exploitation in things like the you know the, the 1920s 1950s and now it's easy to look at these things as kind of as as we tend to as sort of historical aberrations as sort of kind of uh, moments of acute injustice and often often we understand about these things through dramatization but it's a, there's a, a consistent story from the be- the beginning of California, and of course we, you know, if you were a, a, to extrapolate this to the rest of the United States, no doubt that this was a, a, a nationwide uh, phenomena. And so the the beginnings of the carceral state to now, where it, I think it is in, in America, the, the the largest continuous exploited prison population, not just in the world but in the history of the world. Uh, and that has to contend with Stalinism, you know, to give you an impression of how big that is now. It, it makes Stalinism look, you know, like a like a, an also ran in, in terms of its size. But it, this has a, a kind of a history that dates back to plantation slavery. So it is, an, an, you know, this twin form of slavery that kind of we don't see or we don't see quite as clearly, which is, I think, the really, really interesting aspect of of what we're talking about here. I think with Black Lives Matter and the murder of George Floyd, the reality, the, the reality of convict labor and what's happening, what was happening in the, in the American prison system becomes visible again. And it threads through to modern times where there are factories within the prison. Um, My book, California, A Slave State, has a section on what's happening down at Donovan Penitentiary in Southern California in the Ojai Valley, where it's brutally hot. It's desert. And there they have a T-shirt factory 
built into Donovan Penitentiary mm. to convicts who are forced to work unseemly hours a day for no pay with their being guarded, their uniforms, their food, their housing paid by the state for this t-shirt factory to be built inside Donovan Penitentiary. Two prisoners are able to use their minimal phone time to telephone a television station in Los Angeles and explain what's going on. They're immediately put in other prisons, they're charged, they're convicted, but word becomes out of what is happening in the California prison system through these two very courageous men who just couldn't take it anymore. So, so it's an enduring part of, yeah. of convict labor and the carceral state. The women's prisons up in Northern California are currently required to do the ecologically pure work of taking apart old computers. But we know the toxicity in the dust, in the metals, the chemicals within an old computer without any protective covering. And cancer is running through some of the women's prisons where they are supposedly doing the good work for Sony, for example, in recycling computers. So the evil gets woven with the uh, with the good to and it's make work. There is nothing that's going to be used from these old computers. No, no, it's um, the, it, it, it's it's uh, meaningless labor. Um, but uh, but also kind of uh, becomes unchallengeable because there's this sort of veneer of greenwashing about it. Of look, we're, we're getting these poor, destitute and, and kind of morally bankrupt people have committed these dreadful crimes um, because they're poor um, to do some recycling, which is very good. It's sort of like getting them to pick up litter, except except sort of a bit more advanced. Um, why and the why women are, are suffering from skin cancers and all kinds of lung cancers yeah. from the toxicity of the chemicals in these Sony computers that they're taking apart. Yeah, and it's um, and it, it again, they are you know, their 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 labour because it is has been kind of stolen. Um, it means that they are becomes the ult the ultimate kind of expendable human being. What I'm they're expendable and they're not released. I mean, the pressure to hang on to them and not release them to not parole people is part of that pressure yeah. to extend their sentences as long as possible. Um, and and that, you know, there's a whole other kind of, um, uh, there's, there's, this, there's a kind of this explosion of, 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 length, of, of, you know, insane prison sentences from the 1990s onwards with the, the, the three strikes and rule and, and, and that sort of thing was, partly motivated by the desire for a huge pool of free labor. The largest donors to Governor Gerald Jerry Brown, who was known as a very liberal 
um, a, a very liberal governor who actually did a lot for the state, his largest donors were the prison guards. They well, want to keep the system going and and to hire more and more and more guards rather than putting the money into safer buildings or better food or medical care or rehabilitation. Wow. Wow. That's uh it's it, it the implications of that really for, for what what we think about not just you know uh, America but the, the, the foundations of um you know the, the the system of capitalism that we exist under here we are talking through technologies um that met you know from different assembled in different parts of the world assembled probably in china perhaps bangladesh perhaps even in america and the the question is under what conditions were they assembled perhaps free labor perhaps well-paid labor but entirely but very probably not um but that that uh, that kind of almost takes us from plantation slavery to the 21st century really to this 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 long and and this long journey and i think just to kind of draw things to a, 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 a close a little bit because we we're, we're running out of time the value of the book that you've written and um california a slave state um i i urge everyone i'll put the link in the show notes please please get this book read it um support your local bookshop don't go through amazon um support your local bookshop to to buy it because we must support independence the this the, the reason why this is a valuable book one I've, I've come back to it several times now is be, is because it allows us to look beyond the the kind of the simplistic assumptions that we have about a place california about systems about people about freedoms and about the the system of capitalism that we we exist under and it's it, it's dubious present and it's exceedingly murky past um and that for that I, you know i'm supremely grateful gene to have had you on you know twice on on the podcast um and perhaps later on we can return again to look at um a couple of the other issues that maybe we didn't have time for today but um it's been some wonderful chats that we've had Nick, thank you so much for inviting me back. There is more to cover because, as you say, this is spaghetti. You know, it weaves through the technology, the labor system, the sexual, the reproductive system. Child labor is permeated by how much labor we can get without paying for it out of a human body and what else we can do to exploit a human body comes from this lack of freedom. I'm truly grateful for this opportunity. Terrific conversations. The book, um, California Slave State, was published in the UK this week. I think August 22nd, it came out right. um, in the UK. So I know you have a global audience and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to to talk about this extremely complicated moment 
for which there was all. Fantastic. Jean, let's finish there. Um, and uh, we will definitely be hearing from you again. Um, so it's been once again a pleasure and an honour. And um, I really do hope, wish you all the best with, uh, with, with the book. Thank you so much. You take super good care. Speak to you soon. Okay. Bye -bye. You When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.